That is the greatest strength of corporate prayer. When a body of believers commits themselves to pray specifically, and God is pleased to answer that prayer specifically, the resulting strengthening of faith is multiplied through the body. That, brothers and sisters, is the main reason that we ask others to pray for us. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of of Babylon be destroyed. Verse 13, so the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Now, at that point right there, there must have been this temptation that came upon Daniel to feel this great weight of meaninglessness, this cynicism or this defeatism must have tempted Daniel to just fall into this spirit of, oh, well, God preserved me out of this only to deliver me into this. He preserved me through the food thing only to deliver me over to this command to be killed by Nebuchadnezzar. Kind of like what overcame the Hebrew children as as they saw the or they heard the reports of the size of the people in the promised land. Was there not enough graves in Egypt? God, could you just not have let us die in Egypt? You got to bring us here to kill us. The same kind of thing must have tempted Daniel. God preserved me through this only to deliver me into this right here. And I know that that temptation to cynicism confronts all of us. It confronts me. God can do great things in our life. And then when there comes this difficulty or this thing that doesn't seem to be working out, then our temptation is to say, all of that was for nothing, only to bring it to an end right here at this. However, notice this in the passage is that God has to bring about this trial, this this desperate situation in which this death sentence is now placed upon Daniel's head, God has to bring this about in order to bring about the elevation of Daniel and Daniel's friends that God intends to happen. The parallels here with Joseph are incredible. Joseph, in a similar type of situation, he had to be thrown in prison. He had to have his life completely ruined in order for God to bring about the situation to elevate him to the second in charge in the nation. Same thing with Daniel here. Daniel, however, doesn't despair. He says, verse 13, So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion. We talked last week about how that is just an a description of Daniel's life, even though he's maybe 14 or 15, maybe 16 years old now, he is still seen just repeatedly as this man of wisdom and prudence and discretion. So he says to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon, he declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. Now, if you were Daniel, then you must be thinking right now, when you hear this story from Arioch that, oh, the King had this very disturbing dream, and he brought in the people to interpret the dream for him, and nobody could do it, so now he's ordered that all of y'all be killed. You have to think to yourself, he didn't ask me. Now, if you think back to chapter 1, remember what we learned about Daniel in chapter 1. Daniel and his three friends, Hananiah, Mishai, and Azariah, they were examined by Nebuchadnezzar himself at the end of their three-year training period, and they were found to be what? 
ten times wiser and more understanding and more perceptive than all of his other magicians. Now, that might be exaggeration. That might be a type of hyperbole. But the point is still clear. Nebuchadnezzar himself found them to be superior to his own ethnic Chaldean magicians and astrologers. Yet Nebuchadnezzar fails to call upon Daniel when they can't do anything for him. And so he just makes this decree. Well, just kill them all, even though he hasn't even asked all of them. So if you're Daniel, you must think, well, this is what God raised me up to do. We were told in Daniel chapter 1 that God gifted Daniel with this ability of dream interpretation to understand dreams and visions. God has gifted Daniel in this way, and yet he was never even asked, and this death death sentence comes upon him for something he was not even asked to do. So you must wonder, why why, why would he not even ask? This is the testimony that we see in Scripture over and over. This is the testimony we see in our lives. Don't expect the world around us to be open to the ways that God has gifted His people to serve society around us. Don't don't expect society to beat a path to your door for you to use God's giftings to serve them. Society won't do it. We see the testimony of this throughout the Scriptures. We see the testimony of this in our life, in in our society today. We see the same sort of thing. God can gift His children to do things to serve other people and the society in which we live resists it, doesn't want it. I think back to an instance with the first church that we pastored. This this would be maybe 12 or 15 years ago. This church was located in a town in which in that town was a major university. This university was world-renowned for having a very high population of international students. And so here's the nations that are at our doorstep. We talk about going to the nations, and here's the nations right here in our town. And we just thought about how many international students that university had from places that they, as we talked about earlier, don't have a presence of the truth in their society. And we thought, well, how can we do something? We can't just let international students come here to one of the places in which Christianity is the most widespread and spend four years getting an education and go home never having known a genuine Christian. We just... We have to do something to connect with these people somehow. So we thought, how can we do this? Even these are international students, by the way. How, how can we connect with them? So we came up with the idea, what do you need when you're in college? What's the biggest need that you have when you're in college other than money? Food? Yeah, maybe food. I thought laundry. Yeah, I mean, isn't that just this big Laundry. Because, you know, you got the laundromat thing and everything. Laundromats are always inconvenient. So I thought, what if we just offered to do their laundry? Wash and dry and fold their laundry. We would provide them with laundry bags, pick them up. A couple of days later, we return them washed and dried and, and folded. They didn't even have to interact with it. We just wanted to do that service for them. Said, well, this is some way that we can do something to serve the nations who are here right in our back door. So I contacted the director of the international program there and explained, you know, this is what we'd like to do. We, we, we kind of feel like that that's something that we could do to serve these international students while they're here. You know the response I got? Now, this was 12 or 15 years ago when the society was far less progressive than it is today. This is the response I got, almost word for word. Our job is to protect our international students from unwanted influences while they're here. And so absolutely not. 
That's the world. That's the fallen world that we live in that Daniel also lived in. Daniel was gifted beyond all others in the very thing that Nebuchadnezzar needed most, yet he was never asked. Don't expect the world to to want to be beholden to us. So again, verse 16, And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. This is where we planted ourselves last week. And we talked about the fact that Daniel requested the same thing that the Chaldeans requested. They were killed for it. Daniel is given the request. So then, verse 17, Then Daniel went into his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishaiah, and Azariah, his companions. And he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So here they have this prayer meeting. We're familiar with this prayer, this all-night prayer vigil that Daniel and his three friends have as they are going before the Lord in great desperation. They're under this death sentence, and so they go to the Lord in prayer all night. This is one of the most beautiful pictures of a prayer meeting in all the Scriptures because these are four adolescents. Now, we think of these long prayer vigils, and we think of people that can pray for that amount of time and with that sort of desperation in their soul. And I tend to think of the elderly saints, those who have walked with Christ for decades, and they just know the power of prayer, and they are well-trained and well-seasoned in prayer. These are four adolescents, maybe 16 or 17 years old that are praying all night long. What a beautiful picture of prayer. We know from the story of Daniel, we haven't even gotten there yet, but we know that prayer will hold a great place in Daniel's life later on. Chapter 6, of course, there's the whole decree from the king, don't pray to anyone for 30 days, and yet we're told Daniel, like he always did, went, knelt down and prayed three times in the day. And so we see this all-night prayer vigil, Verse 19, then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. So the answer to the prayer comes as they're pouring out themselves to the Lord in prayer, and the answer here comes. Now this answer comes in the context of Daniel and his three friends praying together in what we would call corporate prayer. This is a wonderful opportunity for us to pause and just reflect a little bit about the biblical concept of corporate prayer. Corporate prayer or public prayer or praying with others is something that if you have grown up in the church, it is so second nature to you that you probably have spent little time thinking biblically about corporate prayer. And might I suggest if you have not spent time thinking biblically about corporate prayer or anything else, you might not have a completely biblical outlook on what corporate prayer is and what corporate prayer isn't. Corporate prayer or public prayer or saints gathering together to pray is something that's worth our time to look at biblically and to understand biblically. Number one, we see corporate prayer exampled for us all over the place, especially the Old Testament. The Old Testament emphasis on prayer always seems to be, or at least most of the time, seems to be emphasis on public prayer or corporate prayer. We see in places like Joel chapter 1 where we're told to gather all the people, gather all the elders and all the people and cry out to the Lord. That's one of the many places. There are dozens of places that we could look to see it exampled in the Old Testament. We also see it exampled in the New Testament. Acts chapter 2, we see the young church meeting together daily to pray. 
Acts chapter 12, we see Peter is put in prison and then we see the, the church gathered to pray for him. That's one of the most amazing prayer gatherings because as they are praying, Peter himself knocks on the door because he's been supernaturally released. We see that in Acts chapter 12. Furthermore, we see in Acts chapter 2 that all this takes place as they are going to the temple to pray. So here's the early church still following the habit, if you will, of the Jewish people who have prayer services twice daily in the temple. And so the, these young believers, part of the young early church, are still doing that. They're still going to the temple daily to pray. So we see this example quite often. And I think that we, we see it example. We know that we as God's people should pray together. We have, again, if we've grown up in the church environment, we've grown up around people praying together. And so we just sort of assume that this is what we're supposed to do. And furthermore, we assume why. And if we assume the reason behind corporate prayer, I think sometimes we end up with this idea, and that is corporate prayer is more powerful than individual prayer. How would you answer that? It is not. Corporate prayer is no more powerful or no more effective than individual prayer. And if you allow yourself to not be clear in your own thinking about why we pray together, then you too might slide into this way of thinking that the more people that pray, the more likely God is to answer. I know that I have felt and thought those ways myself in the past, particularly when there is a particularly urgent need, when there is a time of distress and you really need God to answer. Don't you feel that compulsion deep within you? I need other people to pray with me because, you might not put it in these words, because I really need Him to answer this time. There's other times that if He didn't answer, Life will goes on. This is not one of those times. So I need other people to join together. As a pastor, there's been many times I've been asked to pray for people. And I love being asked to pray for people. But there have been specific instances that I can remember in which I was asked in such a way that clearly the person thought that my prayers were more valuable than his. I have had people ask me to pray for loved ones and say things that say quite clearly, God hears your prayers as though he hears them better than he hears mine. Now, if you allow that kind of thinking, not only about prayer itself, but about the God that we pray to, then might I suggest you are thinking blasphemous thoughts about God. Because we don't coerce God. We don't pressure God. Prayer is not about changing his mind as though we could. And to feel as though that multiple people praying is more likely to get a favorable answer to, from God than one person praying is to feel like your prayers hold sway over Him. And you have lowered God about seven rungs on the ladder, on the ladder in your thinking. So we need to be diligent and we need to be careful and understand we are absolutely expected to pray together but we need to be certain about the reasons behind that and what we are to expect as benefits for doing it. So first of all, let me say this. There, there comes with praying together. There comes an added temptation that we don't have when we pray alone. 
And that temptation is explained for us in the Gospels on a few occasions. Jesus tells us, don't be like the hypocrites who pray in order to be heard for their many words because they like for people to hear them pray and think that they're holy. Instead, Jesus says, go into a closet. Go alone and by yourself so that you can pray without the temptation of praying for an audience that's not God. And that's a real temptation. I pray in front of people multiple times a week. and have done it for I don't know how many years. And I can tell you, many of you pray in front of people on a regular basis too. I can tell you, I've not prayed in front of other people one single time in my entire life in which I forgot that people were listening. You don't just enter into this rapturous state of divine connection with God and just forget that people are listening. You know the whole time people are listening to what you say. And it's not the easiest thing to not allow that to influence what you're saying for the wrong motive, for the wrong reason. So Jesus is correct when he says to us, you need to put your emphasis on individual prayer. You know how radical Jesus was? We talk about Jesus' radicalness in many other ways. But here's one of the ways that we miss. Jesus' emphasis was on individual prayer. He exampled it and he taught it. That would have been radical for the Jew of Jesus' day because the emphasis had always been on temple prayer, public prayer, corporate prayer. And here comes Jesus saying, no, when you really need to get down and dirty with your father, get in the prayer closet, get alone with him. So there's this temptation that comes with praying in front of others. But what is it about corporate prayer? Why are we to do it? What does it benefit us? What are the advantages of corporately praying over individual prayer? There are at least four, perhaps more. Number one, I think that the, that the first advantage of corporate prayer would be that it strengthens the bond of unity in the spirit. There's just something about praying together that strengthens the bond of unity in the Spirit. We all know this to be true if you have been in those situations in which there are particularly smaller groups of believers who are just praying together, and it's a time of perhaps extended prayer, a time of intimate prayer in which things are lifted up by name to the Father that perhaps wouldn't have been in larger context, then you know in those environments... There is a unity of the Spirit. There's a bond of the Spirit between those believers who are praying that's not there in the same way when you pray individually. Now, there is a bond that is there in great strength when you pray individually. That's between you and your Father. But there is a bond that is present when you pray with other believers, and that's a bond with them also. So that's one advantage that we see. Another advantage that we see to corporate prayer is it is an effective means of discipling one another and being discipled. So when we pray, as I said earlier, if you pray in front of people, then you know the whole time that people are listening to you. And we should not tailor our words so that others hear those words for the motivation of sounding holy. But we should tailor our words for others to hear for the motivation of discipling. Because when I pray, you listen. I hope you listen. When you pray, I'm listening to you. And as we hear one another pray, that's a wonderful opportunity to disciple one another and to be discipled. 
to hear other believers relate to the Father and to hear how they structure their prayer and to hear the things that they bring up and and the way that they word things and the way that they put things to the Father, that can be a very effective discipling tool to both be discipled and to disciple others. I'm always encouraged when I hear Brother Danny pray how he always acknowledges who God is, and thanks God for His revelation of who He is to us. Or or when I hear Brother Jim pray, and I hear how well he's thought through the Spirit's role in the growth of His church and submitting that to the desire of God, to the will of God, asking, therefore, that God would grow us in His will. And those kinds of things can be a very effective discipling tool for one another. So listen to other people's prayers, but also when you have the opportunity to pray in front of others, then also be mindful that that is an occasion that God is using for you to disciple others. Number three, corporate prayer invites the special presence of God as what happens when believers gather together. Now that's closely related to number one, but... Corporate prayer invites the special presence of God that's not the same as when a believer prays alone. Right now, there is a special presence of God because we are His gathered people. We are the church. And when the church is gathered, there's a special presence of God. And when we gather together and pray, then there's a special presence of God in that prayer that's not the same as when we pray alone or when we might pray silently or something of that nature. And then number four... Corporate prayer multiplies the faith-building effect of answered prayers. Now, wait a minute. Didn't you just say earlier that corporate prayers are not more effective than individual prayers? Here's the nuance. Corporate prayers are not more effective at being heard and answered. But corporate prayers are far more effective in the faith-building result of those answered prayers. What if Daniel had prayed his exact same prayer and had not invited Hananiah, Mishai, and Azariah to join him? Would God have still answered that prayer? Now, that's something to think about. Would God have still answered the prayer if only Daniel had prayed it? Well, if Daniel had prayed it alone and God answered it in exactly the same way, the resulting strengthening of faith would have been 25% of what it is, of what it came to be then. It was quadrupled as Daniel's friends join him. And God answers this prayer in such a clear, vivid, perceptible way. Those who experienced that were four times more than if Daniel had been alone. And the resulting strengthening of faith was quadrupled over an individual prayer. That is the greatest strength of corporate prayer. When a body of believers commits themselves to pray specifically for a specific need or request and God is pleased to answer that prayer specifically, the resulting strengthening of faith is multiplied through the body. That, brothers and sisters, is the main reason that we ask others to pray for us. Because we want them to experience the sanctifying aspect of those prayers, especially the sanctifying aspect if God is pleased to answer them specifically. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Truth That Transforms with pastor and Bible teacher Jason Wilkerson. Truth That Transforms is the daily teaching broadcast of Disciples Fellowship Church. 
we invite you to visit our website where you will find more resources to help in your journey of discipleship. You can find us at www.disciplesfellowshipnc.com or connect with our Facebook page at Facebook slash Disciples Fellowship NC. Truth that transforms exists to glorify Jesus Christ through the teaching of His sanctifying and disciple-making Word.